This is Shift Run Stop, a fun podcast about games and cultural stuff and comedy and interviews. Oh, the last the last time we were together and being recorded, yeah, was at South by Southwest years ago. Yeah, wow, we're outside. We are. It's a very nice day, and we're in sunny Southampton. And there's chickens. And uh, dogs. Well, dogs, singular. Chickens and dog. I've got Dan Hon with me. Hello. It's the internet's Dan Hon. Yes, it is. Dan Hon. Well, this is weird because now what I want to do is I want to say, Dan Hon, CEO of (laughs) Success But by the time this goes out, you won't be. I won't be. Um, I'll I'll have started at Widen's, at Widen and Kennedy. And hopefully I'll be having lots of fun. What will you be doing? Apparently I've been told that I'll, I'll be creative. You are pretty creative. Yes, I like to think so. So it's it's really exciting. Um, it's been, God, it's it's been like nearly three years, and Six to Start are doing very very well. And you co-founded Six to Start, didn't you? I did, I did with my brother Adrian, with whom um, we've been working together for the last five years. Wow, I think, which is a very long time for anyone, <laughs> let alone a brother. <laughs> yeah. So Dan, if you had to describe what you've been working on for the last, I guess, like seven years now, is it games? Is it storytelling? Is it both? I think it's stuff. Yeah? But that's not very helpful. No. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think um, what I've always been interested in have been interesting ways to play about with games, play, and storytelling. Mm-hmm. All of which are very different things on their own, are, can be very, very good. Mm. Um, but you can get slightly more interesting mixes of things when you have a game and story thing or a play and gamey thing or a game and wait a play and story thing (laughs) so 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 combinations yes combinations basically (laughs) yeah they're good yeah very good with words (laughs) Rue. i just like labeling things you you do i'll get you a labeler for your birthday (laughs) dan are you chinese (laughs) chinese british 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 asian Mm. so um yeah so so lots of so so stuff like we tell stories which was all about telling stories in different ways so yeah so we tell stories was was a play story thing mostly story um smokescreen is very story gamey mm-hmm. other other things that we've done have been various combinations of those three things and so looking ahead to sort of what the next year or so or looking ahead to what the future holds for you do you mm. think that's something that you're still gonna specialize in i think so if, if you think about stories as being comprised of little atomic bits of culture that people play with. So I'll, I'll use the canonical kind of transmediary type examples like Star Wars and, and Harry Potter and that kind of stuff. So the characters are atomic, you know, you can call them atomic bits of culture and you kind of go as granular as you want to to. Like for some people it's the clothes that they're wearing or it's the guns or it's the spaceships or it's the characters or it's the locations. Mm-hmm. But these are still kind of discrete bits of thing. Um, so each, the... each one of those things is an artefact which people know by name and yeah. can talk about and, and reference and point yeah. to. Now, each of these bits of culture is can be thought of as a bit like a Lego brick. It's a bit like playing. So that's where you know you get fan fiction from. People like mm. taking these little discrete bits of culture and then seeing what they do when they're added on to the other little bits, mm. which on one hand leads you to things like, well, what would happen if the Enterprise fought um, the Death Star? Um, and it's quite obvious that the Death Star would win, even though I prefer Star Trek more. But the Death Star is quite big. And very powerful. Very powerful, yep. yes. It's, I mean, you wouldn't mistake the Enterprise for a moon. <laughs> that's no, that, that's uh, no twin, 
twin nacelled saucer shaped <laughs> fly swatter. You used the word it's nacelle. The, I did use the <laughs> word nacelle. <laughs> Game's special. The game is afoot. They get very good. Ah. Yeah. See, so I thought of that. We, we Did you think that. of that as well? No, no I, I just, thought of that. No, just you now. thought of it on your own. Well done. Yeah, okay. <laughs> you think of something now. No, I was thinking I might, we might have to arrange to have some sort of Sherlock Holmes themed episode so I, so I can say that. We could go to Baker Street. Yeah, there is a museum at Baker Street. Of what? A muse- like a Sherlock Holmes museum. But he wasn't real. I know, but you can go there. Right. And there's a museum. That's of, of fake things? Yeah. Things that they've made? I suppose. I mean, what kind of museum is this? Okay. Well, it's, yeah. Okay. When I think museum, well, I think artefacts. Yeah, that's true. I don't know. Now you've said that, I'm wondering, because I just sort of thought it was real. But now, you, now you've got to point out the obvious fact that Sherlock Holmes isn't a real man. No. <laughs> well, he might. I don't know whether he was even based on a real, uh, mm. I don't know enough of the, the history. We'll obviously have to go to this yeah. make-believe museum. It might be quite interesting. Yeah. But we could probably get guests, you know, press passes. We could try. Yeah. Give it a go. We could pretend to be members of the press. Well, the reason I know it exists is because well, we are members, sort of. Sort of um, the new media. Yeah. <laughs> Hello, we're the new media. <laughs> the reason I know about the, the Sherlock Holmes Museum is because I applied for a job there once. Did you? Yeah. It was, was a job, job was be the welcomer or whatever like be someone who dresses up in Victorian clothing and go to the door and uh, talk to people and pretend you're a sort of a maid from the Victorian times or something show people around all this mendacity all this all this fakery I know pretending that you really are there yeah these actors what are they all about can't trust them so yeah yeah obviously I didn't get even an interview didn't you no do you not look Victorian enough I, I don't know. I don't think it was to do... I don't know how they would know what I looked like. Oh, you didn't get to that stage? No. They weren't judging you on your appearance? I didn't get anywhere. No, no. So um, maybe we should... Well, we talked about Digger World and stuff, didn't we? Maybe we should do... Yeah, um, we could go to Digger World. We could do... Well, I was thinking we could do, like, a tour of museums that are for things that don't exist. Diggers exist. I know. So we, so that's ruled out immediately. Yeah. But there must be, like, a Harry Potter museum. Or, oh, like, we yeah. Could go to the, we could go to that platform where they've made up a... You know, on King's Cross, there's Le- a fake nine and a half platform. The nine and a, in the summer, later in the year, I'm mm-hmm. going on holiday to Scotland. Yes. And on the way there, I'm going to go through Penrith. Right. Which is where the tea rooms are and where the holiday is set in Withnell and I. I was going to say, is it Withnell and I? It is, it's Withnell and... Uh, how are you getting there on the train? I'm going, we're going to drive all the way. So you can stop there? Yeah. And find the tea room? We're going to go oh, and we're going to, uh, we're going to go to the river where he shoots the fish and we're going to go to all the places. Oh, it's going to be great. That's brilliant. Yeah. You have to go take photos and make a film about it. I will. <laughs> I will. And I hope that there is a, a with an online museum there, but I bet there's not. Oh. I bet there's just photos in the B&B that show you where to go. So we could do some kind of with an online special because there's also locations in London which I'm either know where they are or I'm obsessed with finding. So ah. maybe we should do a with an map. Well, I tell you what, we'll team up. You mm. do the I'll southern do bit and mm. I'll do the northern bit when I'm up there. And you can also do the motorway bit because the bit of the motorway that they use in with is a newly opened the year they made that film Ooh. so they were allowed to drive up and down it and they just like called oh, off the section brilliant. Is that why so I... as you watch the film you'll see that it's the same cars overtaking oh, them all the brilliant. way up and they just got you know period cars to drive up and down that's the side cool. okay so uh, that's going to be great we'll have a, a with an ally special some point later in the summer yeah let's definitely do that there's also there's there's some stuff around London Zoo the last scene is set next to the wolves the wolf enclosure yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, Which where I he, think... he reads the soliloquy from Hamlet. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You see? Oh, I've seen this film. So, so. I've got the script, actually. Oh, excellent. Yeah. Is it the actual in. script or is it like one that someone's written on their computer whilst watching with Neville? No, <laughs> no, that would be, uh, <laughs> that would be a transcript. No, I've got, I've got uh, the script as in the screenplay. Brilliant. Uh, it doesn't, I mean, it sounds quite special when I say that, but I bought it in the bookshop. Yeah. Other people have this book too. Yeah. It's a book. You can just buy it. Yeah, you just buy it for money. Right. Didn't have to, they didn't give it to me or anything. It's not signed. You no, just... it's just a copy. Uh-huh. I've got a copy yeah. of the script. You didn't write okay. the script. Then. No. Right, okay. No, it was written by a famous writer. <laughs> You're not in it. In this Lego brick model, help me understand, is it important what's canonical? I don't think so. I think kind of if a Lego brick exists enough for someone to play with it, Mm. and I think this is where where the early alternate reality games, um, the wonderfully geeky phrase, um, kind kind of happened, because what they would do was that they would take a story... Um, or they take, a, say, a chapter's worth of story, and then they would take all the Lego bricks that made up that story and then scatter them all over the place. Mm-hmm. So you would have to find all the Lego bricks in the first place, and you'd have to assemble them back into a story. And I think the assembling bit is the play bit. Mm. And it's definitely not like a game, because there's no real win state. There's no kind of inherent challenge. You're just kind of trying to slot them together to f- work out a pleasing object that you're building with exactly the same way as Lego it's just fun to rearrange things into a new shape so you're just seeing what fits with what Um, it just happens to be that once you've fit together all the blocks in a certain configuration um, then that results in a story so in the same way so you can can kind of think of people writing fanfic in the same way people writing fanfic are playing Mm. with the Lego bricks of the culture that they like what they actually end up with, what they've produced, is a story which isn't play-related at all. Um, and it's not really a game, either. It's just an artefact that's a result of them having played. Mm. Now, for, for these pesky alternate reality games, the thing that you end up with, this chapter, may well then include instructions for a game-like segment where you actually have to accomplish something, you've got to break a code or, or any of those kinds of things. Mm-hmm. Then, So you've got this kind of Lego brick phase where you discover all the bricks and then you play with them to put them in the right or a configuration, that configuration produces some instructions for you. Then you've got to accomplish those, and then that opens up the next level for you, which displays a whole bunch of new Lego bricks that you can then assemble in the right order. But I guess that only works if the people telling the story, or kind of, you know, uh, helping assemble the instructions, are paying attention to what people have built. Yes. So it wouldn't work if, if you had a fixed idea of what the story needs to be yeah. or what's going to happen next. You actually have to be kind of on the lookout for what people are doing with your stuff in yeah. order to then have something that fits inside this universe that they're helping yeah. create. So you've still got to have so you've still got these rules of play which help you work out what the better configurations are. You know, it's still entirely open for you if you are if if you're in the kind of Lego brick playing phase of a game like, well, I say game, an experience like this, where you get a random string of numbers, and you could conceivably just play with those numbers in any way that results in a phone number. Mm-hmm. Um, the problem is is that we would talk about, well, there's an easy phone number to get from that and a hard phone number to get from that. The easy phone number is the one that slots to get, that slots the bricks together in a, I suppose, a pleasing configuration, or an easy, where they feel more like they're snapping together, mm. rather than being melted down into... <laughs> stick you in plastic and then reformed um, into something completely different. 
So there are still, uh, I think, you know, they're still kind of um, quantized mm. um, in terms that you know they're, they're still better configurations than others. Mm. Um, and then, so you get to the gaming bit, and then this this all got very frustrating because um, one of the questions Nadia asked me was, well. Why are they still called alternate reality games? It's a terrible, terribly, terribly, terribly geeky name for what's essentially telling a story, and um, and I agreed vigorously and violently and vociferously, um, and I pointed out that it may well be that um, all these people who are very into alternate reality games have kind of corralled themselves into a local maxima mm. of storytellingness and kind of back backed themselves into a genre which is very very hard to emerge from. Mm. So if you look back at the current crop of people who are very into alternate reality games, they kind of all trace them back f- from 2001 and the beast and and the AI movie and everything. And if you take a step back, you can see that well, AI was a movie based on a Brian Aldiss short story. You know, so it was already pretty, you know, it was already a science fiction story. Not only was it a science fiction story, but it was a short story, so it was already quite limited in audience. Not that many people had heard about it. It's a story called Super Toys Last All Summer Long. Um, I thought it was Philip K. Dick. No. Well, you know, science fiction movies these days, invariably Philip K. Dick. Bound to be Philip K. Dick. Or um, Asimov, because AI does sort of borrow it from does. Asimov. Yeah. Anyway. Um, so th- and, and then it was originally going to be made by Kubrick, which is already which is already kind of shepherding you down a certain mm. um, area. Uh, then it turned out to be made by Spielberg, and then because I guess Kubrick died. Yes, probably what happened about then. Yeah. Okay, so Spielberg made it. It was painful. Yeah, it was a bit, but it was still a science fiction movie, mm-hmm. and the way it was seeded, and the way this the way this kind of proto ARG got out was to incredibly passionate geeky fan sites like Ain't It Cool News. Um, and, and we wonder now why ARGs tend to attract all these terribly geeky, fan site type people. <laughs> and um, one of the answers, I think, is that in the beginning, and the way that they've spread is initially to those incredibly geeky, fan site type places, mm. and, and less of a mainstream. Um, not that a mainstream audience is necessarily better, it is bigger. Um, and depending on what you're trying to do yeah. with your ARG. Uh, yeah. And in many cases, they're being used for advertising and marketing. And so yeah. I guess in, the, in those instances, mainstream equals more eyeballs, yeah. even if not more money. Yeah. And, and so one of the questions is, well, you know, ARG is a terrible... There are a lot of people who think it's not a very nice name for a thing. <laughs> ARG! ARG. I mean, unless you're a pirate. Great, great name. Um, so presumably ninjas hate ARGs. <laughs> <laughs> um, and... Um, <laughs> And then, so we, we were thinking, well, why are they why are they called alternate reality games? What kind of people? <laughs> and this this sounds really negative. What kind of people would call these things alternate reality games? And then and then you kind of step back a bit and you go, well, hang on, this was first targeted towards science fiction geeks, All right? And it wasn't just targeted to any science fiction geek. It was targeted to you know internet science fiction geeks who were online in two thousand and one. Um, and from their point of view, something that had robots. Um, and spaceships and were set in the future and had clones in I mean they would call that I would call that an alternate reality yeah when when really I mean if you want to step back even further from that it's just fiction it's just a story it's just a story mm. um, but in this particular instance it was an alternate reality distinguishing it from this one but at the same time 
exactly the same as any other fiction that mm. we come up with. Although, with its own set of expectations about how the story is told, you know, it's, it's clearly not a story in the way that a film is a story. It's a story that's told in a very different way yeah. and in an interactive way. Yeah, and I think... I, I think that's still, that, that was definitely the interesting thing, and, and it's it's a good question as to whether that's best explained in the alternate reality bit of mm. the tag or whether that's explained in the game bit of the tag. But then w- one of the things that we were thinking about was that if you go back to 2001, um, there was a... You know, there was, an, there was another quite popular movie that came back out in 2001. It was possibly... Um, although or probably not, you know, because it wasn't a Spielberg movie, it was it was still quite niche... Uh, but it did very well. It was called Amelie. Mm. Um, and if you imagine a Amelie experience unfolding in 2001 that, say, involved lots of gnomes cropping up all over the world um, with little postcards on them telling you to help them get back to their owners. Something with photo booths in it. Something with photo booths in it and something with, you know, um, ridiculously hip French music. <laughs> native French um, and accordion music in it. That'd be great. Why didn't you make this? Well, you see, that, that's the thing. And then, and then you look at something like that and say, well, okay, this tells a story about these two people who are trying to get back together or everyone's trying to get them to meet for the first time so that they can fall in love and they're destined to be with each other. I find it hard to believe that the people playing that game would have then christened the entire genre alternate reality games. Mm. And, and that's, a, that's a kind of nagging worry that I've got is that we've kind of blundered down this alley, which predisposes people to create and think of science fiction thrillers and mysteries and saving teenage girls who have mysteriously lost all their memory or finding mysterious artefacts all over the place. When, when really, what could we have made? And it's an interesting thought experiment. What kind of thing would you have made to make Amelie? Mm. And how would people have reacted to it? Yeah. And how would people have found it in the first place? Yeah, yeah. And you know, would you, you know, would you have gone to those um, really geeky sites like Ain't It Cool News, which I visit all the time? But I can see that, you know, it's for a certain audience. Yeah. In fact, I, I suppose if we made them, if if there had been one made for Amelie, then we'd probably all be speaking pretentiously in French uh, <laughs> all the time. It would have been called something in French. It, it would have, yeah, yeah. It'd be, it'd be. Um, How's your French? It, uh, terrible, terrible. In fact, I'm still very confused about chat roulette. I think the French must be very confused about chat roulette because there are no cats in chat roulette. <laughs> chat roulette. <laughs> it's like you click a button and you have no idea what, whether you're going to get a white cat or a black cat. Sometimes <laughs> people do put cats on chat roulette. And yes. maybe that's when you've won the roulette. Yes, yes, when it's actually chat yeah, roulette. Maybe, well, and, and that's another interesting um, <laughs> angle on it. Like, <laughs> if the cat is shitting, then, <laughs> then have you yeah, won the, the cat the, chat roulette. The movie prize. <laughs> It's been a long time since I played Repton on an Acorn Electron. But here I am. Can you hear the keys? At the National Computing Museum at Bletchley Park, playing Repton the Lost Realms. And and it's amazing. Acorn Electron plus three, which means it's got all kinds of shit strapped to the back. And avoiding those terrifying skulls, but collecting all the lovely diamonds.
my name's Dave Moore. Well, I've sort of facilitated the acorn display here as well as a couple of the rooms next door as well. Um, you're interested in the Repton game. Yeah, no, you've got a Repton game here that I haven't seen before, and you were telling me about how it's been um, recovered from the archives and restored. Yeah, that's right. Well, about um, about ten years ago, we saw a posting on a mailing list somewhere from a guy who claimed to have. Um, released um, program to get a, a fourth sequel to Repton called Repton 4 well that's really a third sequel isn't it but um, and it never got, it got completed but not released so um, we spent several years trying to track him down and a couple of years ago we found him um, so we've managed to recover the source code re, you know finish the game off and we're releasing it on old cassette traditional cassette and flop, proper floppy disks for, for novelty basically um, yeah it's a very, it'll be um, released at a show in November this year called Replay um, in Blackpool it's um, happening on the 6th and 7th of November to find out more information about the Repton game you can go to retrosoftware.co.uk slash Repton to find out more information about the event it's going to be released at Replay the web address for that I think is r3play.info so it's like replay but with a three so r3play.info and like I say that's 6th and the 7th of November this year um, at Blackpool Excellent. and what's the Repton game called again? it's called well originally it was called Repton 4 yeah um the agreement we had with um, the original publisher's superior software is that we can release it, no problem. We just na- need to change the name. So we came up with Repton the Lost Realm. And it has, I was quite interested, it has balloons that go up and can kill you unusually in Repton because it's all about boulders falling ahead and aliens attacking you. Yes, yes, that's right. That surprises a lot of people. People aren't used to seeing um, balloons in Repton. Repton 1, 2 and 3 would have boulders which would, like in Boulder Dash, would yeah. fall and crush you. Repton 4 or wrapped on the Lost Realms as it's now called it has balloons which are the inverted boulders so they rise and um, even experienced wrapped on players get confused as hell by this so it's got lots of other stuff like spirits that fly I think both ways and uh, it's got bigger screens bigger levels uh, if you're an 8-bit computer BBC nerd it's uh, very exciting indeed points is no. on a one MIP machine. That means on a modern 9750 GPU she'll be able to handle 400 billion points and they can only handle six sorry, they can only handle 12 billion. The thing is that 400 billion points a second that is a volumetric thousand pixel display morphing every single pixel at a hundred, a hundred frames a second. That's good. There's a dream, yeah? Yes. Brilliant.
your fingers manage to send the pulse to your brain. This is just the intro. The, the most impressive part of the intro was actually the Mode 7 zoom where it went into the planet. Because the simple reason was it was declared to be completely and utterly impossible. The, the Super Nintendo and the Mega Drive, Sega Mega Drive, used 68,000 processors, the same as the A500. And they had different uh, custom chipsets. To do mode 7 graphics, the real-time zoom on the uh, on the SNES, the cartridge, the game, actually had a core processor, required a core processor for manipulating the graphics. These guys had to do it in software. The Mega Drive, Genesis in America, again, for doing the high-speed rotation in the Sonic ones, I believe, well, a lot of the car- later cartridges, they had core processors. But I found a site this last week with an interview by a company that were making a Sonic the Hedgehog game in, 90, in uh, the early 90s, 92, 93. Okay. Um, it was going to be based on the characters that appeared in the Sonic, Mor- in the Sonic Saturday morning cartoon. And they were programming it on an A1200. The lizard witch shades. Dan Hon. The right Hon Dan Hon? The right Hon Dan Hon. He, he's recently been in the US and brought back with him some American sweets. Dave, have, have at this. This is a, a, cow, a cow tail. tail. I think I've had one of these before. I think it's a bit like a Tootsie Roll. It's a vanilla. Slightly gelatinous. Um, twig like Curly Whirly. But without the, without the chocolate. It's inoffensive. Mm. It's got a, like a creamy filling. Yeah, sort of stretchy, elasticy cakey exterior it's like yeah. a finger of fudge but without the Cadbury's exterior yeah and it's what's it called cow tails yeah it's, it's uh, cat tails t-a-l-e-s yeah. and sold for the bargain price of 50 cents Mikey, what's is that it, nowadays is it like a chewy twinkie yeah it could be a is bit a bit like a sort of I don't really know what a twinkie is I'm we're, cream we're, we're, just, we're just throwing in American terminology here I, th- <laughs> I think it's more like um, <laughs> <laughs> a twinkie's like a, a cream filled um like a, a, sort of a, a, a pastry fancy like, with cream on the inside, but plastic, a made of plastic. Jack. <laughs> is it? A, donut. a Twinkie's like a, like a donut. Yeah, yeah but, but filled with horrible inside. synthetic cream mm. and kind of long in, in form. Anyway, next. This is called Chick O Stick, crunchy peanut butter and toasted coconut candy. And even cheaper. This oh, is a this bargain, is, 25 cents. This is quite sturdy. This is like this. <laughs> it looks like, like something you'd feed pencil. to your dog, doesn't it? Oh, yeah, exactly. It's like an orange, it's bright orange, like. Dog it reminds me of the cracknel filling to in 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 Quality Street, whatever whatever the technical term for that is. Yeah. It's like the, the middle of a star bar. Have you ever had that? Hmm. Only, only, only two obvious questions, really. Why is it called Chico Stick? It's not based on chicken in any substantial <laughs> way, as very few confectionaries are. Also, why is it this bright orange colour? None of the ingredients <laughs> warrant that. I, I, I was expecting some sort of carrot element as a result. Uh, on this occasion, I, I mean, I've been disappointed, but clearly... It's very colourful. Mm. I think it's much nicer than you think it's going to be. You do think it's going to be like a pepperami or um, 
or a dog chew, but actually it's a delicious peanutty treat. Next up, we have the uh, the Chase's cherry mash. Uh, it's quite a big lumpy thing. Purely from the outside, it reminds me of the Idaho Spud, which I often go on about on this program, and I hope you edit out at least half the time. <laughs> um, which is a which is a kind of fake potato made out of coconuts and other native Idaho products. But no potatoes. Uh, oh, look at the cherry. Look oh. at this. Shoff. It, it looks like, um, oh, it's like coconut, coconut ice <laughs> with, a, with a chocolate outer coating. I'm, this I'm, looks delicious. Like, I'm, looks I'm trying to find a description of the product on the, on the wrapper, but it's, it's, presumably it's obvious what it is. It's just a cherry mash. <laughs> it's a cherry mash. Just the colour of it alone. It's the very it's kind of vibrant uh, Barbie pink quite strongly scented as well mm. yeah, there's some a very strong almond. cherry flavouring oh, cherry and almond Ooh, like yeah. a Batewell tart maybe that's the nut element maybe that's the, maybe the nuts yeah. are almonds on the outside it I is. quite like it yeah it's it's as if it's as, it's as if someone had smuggled out instructions for a ch- not to go on about Quality Street and like, it looks like the, the there was an artist's impression of a Quality Street <laughs> that, 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 that mean fashions uh, using very crude tools <laughs> and lastly we have uh, a Raleigh bar this is very small it's about mm-hmm. the size of uh, one one digit of your hand maybe like a, a, a thumb a big thumb it's uh, this is uh, I bring it up especially because I'm wondering whether uh, Layla will eat any of it uh, the constituent ingredients are pecan oh, nougat no. bacon and caramel no. so it's a chocolate bar with bacon inside it with bacon oh fantastic it looks like a little Sorry. fire lighter or um or like one of those oil paints wrapped in foil with some paper around it. Yeah, it's quite a pleasing size, isn't it? I'm struggling to get nice it open. Um, Normally, uh, bacon-flavoured chocolates are um, are prohibitively expensive. I, I don't know... You've had this before, then, bacon No, I, well, I know. I've, I've gazed enviously upon them in Selfridges and went six quid for a bar of chocolate <laughs> that tastes of bacon. <laughs> it can't be that good, surely. Were they kidding? I could, I could, I could get that at home. <laughs> So, and how, how is the bacon in, infused into the... Well, I look forward to finding out. I hope it's just a big lump of streaky it, bacon yeah. right down the middle of it. It actually oh. looks like a little bit of a chocolate, oh, I'm a normal chocolate. Now. So this is a kind of a nougat filling with a layer of caramel. Have you, have you started tucking it? in? I'm yeah, you have, a, you have a sniff, Layla. Mm, smells a bit weird. Yeah, I can... It's got, you know, it's... Um, it smells very dark chocolate. Where's the bacon? It's the ingredients. Sugar, honey, chocolate, cream, bacon, pecans, egg whites, butter... It's weird. It specifies it's a bacon caramel. Right? Uh, bacon so, like, caramel? Yeah. Do you remember the, uh, the Quality Street bacon caramel that they brought out? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Didn't do too well. Oh, what, 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 what a disappointing Christmas that was. Who'd have thought? Who'd have thought I'd be sitting here with a d- delicious exotic chocolate bar going, God, doesn't taste enough of bacon. <laughs> I'm going to make more of an effort next time. It's an experience. There's almost a hint of bacon there, but I, if you gave me it, Without telling me, I, I couldn't be convinced that I wasn't imagining it. Well, thank you, Dan Hon, uh, for, for your, your American chocolates. Much appreciated, the R2. We appear underwhelmed. Really, <laughs> really, it's because we're, 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 we're trying to grasp these unfamiliar palates. I liked the other three, though. I mean, the cowtail, very good. Chicken stick, lovely. Cherry mash, yes, yeah, I'll be... Well, I mean, that, that was my favourite because it was the most shocking, the bacon one. Well, that's, like, that's why um, I thought it would appeal to you. Those, 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 those are the ones I'll be seeking out more of in future. Yeah, well, let us know how you get on. I will. See you next week. Are there things about ARGs that ARG fans would expect to be in there that you think might be constraining the the medium, or is it more about the genre? I I think so. Um, I get a bit tired of cryptography these days. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I think I, I think that's the, I think that more people, or I would hope that more people can 
identify with the playing bit rather than the game. Like the, the, it feels like to, to me that the gamey bit so far is quite simplistic and it's quite mini gameish. Mm. It's like you've got a wonderful game like um, Bioshock or Bioshock Two. And then you go around and it's got, you know, the, the, the large game, the, the big game has got a wonderful mechanic in it. Yeah. But then you've got to get to a door and then you have to hack the door to open it and you're playing Pipe Mania. <laughs> <laughs> and you're kind of like, on, on the one hand... Um, or in Bioshock 2 you're playing something a bit like darts. Really? Yeah, it's like a, a needle that goes back and forth across uh, a, a spectrum and then you have to get it in the right spot. It's see. even more irritating. Pipe Mania was m- way more fun than yeah, Bioshock you see? 1. And it just seems to me that um, th- there are a lot of things that suffer from kind of mini-gameness, and what I think is potentially the promising bit about ARGs um, is is the play with the Lego bricks bit. So a Lego brick would be, say, a bank website. Mm. Now the question is, how fun and how interesting can you make it be? Can you, can you design something so that getting the Lego brick is as fun and as playful as possible without sticking basically pipe mania in front as a lock in front of each lego brick and making it really obvious what you expect yeah. that thing to lead to yeah yeah okay that's cool um and i think so i mean there, there are lots of different it's really bloody hard to write something in that way mm. where you can take an incredibly well-written story and then explode it into lots of little bits and have each little bit um be interesting enough in and itself for it to be something for you to play with mm but also for you to understand the, the thingness of that thing so that it slots together with... I'm very good with my words today. The thingness today. of that thing, that's the, good. The thingness. Yeah. Um, Atomicity. Yes. I don't know. I mean, Lego brickety. Yeah, or, or the, uh, the affordances. Ah, yes, yes. Now you're, now you're being all Donald Norman on my ass. I, I could do that too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I, I think I know what you mean. So, you know, the, the idea of actually being given some artefacts to play with and being able to just play with them. Yeah. And see what happens, rather than being expect, or rather than expecting to look yeah. in the source code for that page and, and find another clue. Yeah, exactly. You might be able to find bits in that that fit with other bricks in different ways. Mm-hmm. So you might be able to find something out um, that if you enter that part of that Lego brick into a different site or into a different artifact, then that does something. And I think that's more like playing yeah. than an obscure cryptographic mini game. That um, that I think is is the pipe mania. Of the, is, is the pipe mania door hacking of the ARG world is, is that what a golf clap is when you start slow or is that different I've heard of golf clapping that's a kind of polite clap. <laughs> it's, it's, it's so rare that I've applauded on either side of the Atlantic. But um, I, I, believe, I believe what we would interpret as a sarcastic so, slow hand clap is, is considered <laughs> completely genuine in the, in the United States. Give it a try one day. Also, they applaud uh, when people say the name of a film in a film. Is that a thing that... I'm sure I've heard this. Like, if you go to cinema in America yeah. and then they sort of say, now let's go back to the future and everyone gets up and cheers. Yeah, yeah. yeah it's wow. just, Is that it's why just so many films have the name of the film in them at some point? Oh, maybe. To create that kind of buzz. Well, yeah. well for me, it's a disappointment when they don't. <laughs> and, um, and When they don't contain the name of the film. Yeah, my former colleague Danny O'Brien <laughs> was considered making it mandatory that films should end with a character saying, oh, so in a way, we are the Raiders of the Lost Ark. <laughs> and they're turning, so, turning to camera. And obviously the audience would applaud and the film would end. So it's what, perfect. what you've got here, Schindler, is Schindler's <laughs> List. Yes. 
Well, that was sequels, I, I, though. I, I then you've got to go, I am the Iron Man 2. <laughs> I'm the Iron Man, and that's what happens <laughs> in Iron Man 2. Too, like, really quietly. I can't remember if this is in a Stewley set, but I think there's a bit there's a bit in Secrets and Lies where one of the characters quite cheesily goes, oh, it's all secrets and lies, isn't it? <laughs> secrets and lies we've been telling each other. <laughs> nudge, and, nudge. And, and, and again, if they turn to the audience and wink to that point, yeah, it'd be, it'd be, it'd be ideal. <laughs> So at the beginning of this this week, then, you announced that you were leaving Six to Start. Yes, yes, I did. I'm going to be working for Wyden and Kennedy, um, who I believe are most recently known for that World Cup advert, uh, which isn't, actually, now, it come, now I come to think of it, which isn't the World Cup advert in Mos Eisley. Ah, that's right? the Adidas one. Yeah, not the it's Adidas the Nike one. one. It's the Nike it. one, the, the three-minute Nike one, that apparently when it was broadcast on ITV... ITV forgot to show the ending. Oh. The ITV don't seem to be doing very well with the World Cup at the missing moment. Missing bits out. <laughs> yes, That's the important bits. Well, I hope they didn't interrupt that advert with another advert. That would have been no. That would have been that would have been um, yeah. Wow. Quite quite interesting. So um, so the interesting thing about Widens is that um, they have also just hired this guy called Ian Tate, who used to be at Poke. So I'm very encouraged. I mean, so these are people who are you know, masters of, of short-form storytelling. You know, they're really, really great at um, print and um, and TV and all that kind of stuff. The Going back to the Nike advert mm. for a second, um, the long version of it on YouTube is yeah. amazing, and actually um, I've watched it a few times now, which I guess a lot of people in the country have because it's, it's been watched a lot of times. It has. Um, but I found the shorter versions of it on the telly, not mm. just where it's been accidentally cut yeah. off at the end, but the shorter <laughs> versions struggled a little bit to tell the same story as well I, I, I wonder if they tried to put too much in and could have done with focusing on one yeah. strand from it rather than trying to do everything yeah. all at once I think that's interesting and I think it's it's interesting about how advertising is changing and having to ad- adapt quite vigorously to the changing environment that, that it finds itself in because well, the fact that the YouTube version is better than the yeah. version on TV yeah um, so I think it's it's interesting for for a well in some respects it's interesting for an agency to go you know what the best the best ad that we can make for this would be 3 minutes long mm-hmm. so we can only show it once on it so we can only show it how many times on ITV and also ITV might fuck it up <laughs> <laughs> um whereas when it when you stick it on YouTube I think it's had something like over 10 million views now it's a lot anyway mm. yeah which is which is nice um I think from an advertiser's point of view yeah because people are choosing to watch it which is always, which is always good. So, I, I so think you're going to work for a dirty advertising company. Ho- hopefully, a clean one. A clean you're one. The, the, you're not the, selling your soul for this job, then. I don't. I hope not. Good. I just want to make cool stuff. Yeah. As far as I know, um, they don't make stuff that blows up, or I won't be advertising stuff that blows up. Nobody gets shot. No. No. At least not in a, not in a bad way. Only with cameras. <laughs> only with cameras. Yes. Only, only, only digitally. <laughs> yeah. In HD. In yes, in glorious, glorious <laughs> HD, preferably with a Canon 5D Mark II. Mm. <laughs> was that a sponsored link? <laughs> that was. Oh God, it's 10%. happening! It's happening already. <laughs> you're, you're already selling, <laughs> selling things to people. 
Assuming that you've written uh, a post about it by now. Yes. Because obviously we're talking at the weekend and by, we by Thursday this will all be yeah. uh, out and my embargo will be lifted. Yes. Um, Do you get embargoed a lot? No, not usually. <laughs> Is this your first embargo? I don't I'm going to feel really CEOs. weird. Yeah, assuming that you've already written about it. Mm. Uh, where can people go to read that? They can probably go to my blog. And what's the URL? Which is, which is at danhon.com. Danhon.com. Yes, danhon.com. Danhon, you uh, are you're lovely, and I wish you all the best in your new job. Thank you very much. Internet's Rue Reynolds. <laughs> Thank you, Internet's Danhon. <laughs> Do you find that people come up to you and say, Ooh, Danhon? Uh, no, but they did for a while. <laughs> when Danhon was <laughs> <were> advertising heavily. <laughs> They, 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 did, they did for a while um, say, you look a bit like Hiro Nakamura. I used to say that about you. You used to say that, yes. And to you, not just about you, Yes, behind your back. Yes, no, you'd face. actually say it to my face. Dan, you're an interesting man, and you're going to do amazing things, I'm sure, in your, in your new job. Uh, congratulations on that. Thank you. Say goodbye. Goodbye, Dan. Bye. Bye. That was fun. That was Shift Run Stop, available on iTunes or from the website shiftrunstop.co.uk.